Tonight, we are going to look at the topic of respect. The topic of respect, or more specifically, about acquiring respect. Everyone wants respect. Everyone wants it. In fact, when it's absent, or when there's a perceived absence of respect, there is most often serious interpersonal conflict. Unhappy husbands most often will point to a lack of respect from their wives as a reason for their own discontent in marriage. Prodigal children will explain the reason why they ran away from home, often in terms of the fact that they weren't respected for their particular views. Parents who have to kick their kids out of the home for various reasons, talking about more adult children here, will often point to the fact that their children don't respect their authority. Employees will often quit their jobs because of a lack of respect. Social activists shut down city streets claiming that local authorities do not respect their wishes. Countries threaten war against one another when they perceive that their interests are not being respected. The concept of respect plays a very significant role within interpersonal relations and throughout the fabric of society and even through the fabric of this world. Well, what is respect? And I think that we can define it this way. We can define it in two subcategories. When we talk about respect, especially as we approach it now from the standpoint of Scripture, we could say this, Two kinds of respect. One is one kind we can call owed respect. Owed respect. And this relates to respect that is due to those who have positions of authority. So those who have been delegated authority in some kind of role are due respect. And so that's why the Bible does call upon wives to respect their husbands. Ephesians 5, verse 33. Children are called upon to respect their parents. Ephesians 6, verse 1 to 3. Slaves, Paul says in Ephesians 6, are to respect their masters. Ephesians 6, 5 to 8. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17, that citizens are to respect governing authorities. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 13 verse 17 says church members are to respect their leaders, elders in the church. Believers in general are called upon to respect one another. Romans chapter 12 verse 10, we're members of a family and those in the church are the redeemed, those for whom Christ has died and that means they are due respect. And even 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17 calls upon us to respect all men. 
Because all bear the image of God. And because all men and women, all human beings, young and old, male and female, because all human beings bear the image of God, even if that image is tarnished, we are to respect one another out of obligation because of that image. That is what we could call owed respect. But there is another kind of respect, and it's the kind that we are looking at tonight in particular. It's what we call acquired respect. Acquired respect. This is respect that is earned. Respect that is collected. Respect that is acquired over time, not merely by virtue of a title or a position of leadership, but this is respect that is earned based on one's character and one's actions. This is a special kind of respect, a particularly valuable kind of respect. And in fact, we could in many ways call it a a very valuable resource, a very valuable precious treasure. It is not something that is just natural. It is something that must be attracted and not demanded. In fact, really, any time that you tell someone that they must respect you, you have to realize that the moment you have to call for them to respect you indicates that you have not acquired that respect. Acquired respect is hard to come by as we're going to see. It must be earned. We see this, for example, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, and Paul's talking about the character of leaders in the church, candidates for eldership. Candidates for eldership must not just be respected by virtue of the fact that they're stepping into the role of, a, of an overseer. No, they're already told, they're already required to be respectable. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. An overseer must be respectable. He must elicit or attract the admiration of others. If he doesn't, he's not worthy to be an overseer. And even in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 7, just a, a few qualifications later, Paul says this of the leader in the church, he must have a good reputation with those outside the church. Even among unbelievers, a man who is qualified to step into a role of leadership must be one who has earned, who has acquired the respect even of his unbelieving neighbors or family members, those who live down the street. We read even of Jesus in Luke chapter 2, that Jesus is described as as a young man, as he was developing in his humanity. He is described as increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Jesus as the archetypal man, the one to whom we look as the example, the model He was one who, even in his humanity, grew in stature and earned respect. That's the kind of respect that we are going to now look at in terms of the book of Proverbs, acquired respect. Now, before we get into this, we have to acknowledge this, that the effort to acquire this respect, 
is fraught with dangers. Now, you probably are thinking of these. You're probably thinking through already. Well, does this mean then that I build my life around this pursuit of respect? What does that look like? And isn't that wrong? Well, I want to tell you that, as we're going to see in Proverbs, it isn't wrong to pursue that kind of respect, but we have to recognize the dangers that are associated with it. For example, if you don't approach this topic the right way, your desire to acquire respect can very easily transform you into a person who fears men. You can become that kind of person who lives in constant anxiety over what others think about you and you're obsessed with their opinions. That is the fear of men and that is sinful. It can also lead to a kind of self-righteousness wherein you live for the accolades of men just like the Pharisees of old and you begin to equate the applause of men with righteousness. That if I attain to a level where, where people respect me, it means I'm righteous. It means I've got it all together. It means I'm a good man. And that is not what we're talking about. That too is sin. Moreover, a wrong approach to acquiring respect can lead to downright idolatry. As you become consumed with your self-image and the desire for approval. We have to be very careful to avoid these things as we talk about acquiring respect. Augustine, in one of his discussions, actually touches on this struggle as men try to understand how to navigate these waters in light of the dangers. How can they grow in favor with men How can they properly acquire respect without falling into these ditches? And this is what he said. He summarized his counsel this way, quote, Two things there are whereof every man should be especially cautious and tender, his conscience and his credit or reputation. But that of his conscience must be his first care or concern. That of his name and credit must be content to come in the second place. Let a man first be sure to guard his conscience well, and then he may have a due regard for his name also. Let it be his first care to secure all within by making his peace with God and in his own breast. That done, but not before, let him then look abroad if he will and cast about as well as he can to strengthen his reputation with and before the world. And quote, what Augustine is saying here is so very important We have to keep our priorities correct and in the right order. The first thing that is of utmost importance is our own conscience. Our own standing in private, in secrecy, where no one else is watching. Our own standing with God. doesn't matter what you do in the second area of your name and reputation. If this first area 
isn't strong and vibrant and growing. Your relationship to God, your clear conscience before God, your walking in his favor, your possession of his smile upon your life. And when that is in its proper place, its proper priority, then we can and we must consider our reputation before a watching world and think about how we can acquire a good name. The book of Proverbs gives us multiple lessons on this topic, and I want to look at four of them this evening. Four lessons for acquiring respect from the book of Proverbs. And again, remember, we're dealing with this second category of respect. Not owed respect, but earned or acquired respect. And before we get into them, I, I just wanted to share this. It's fascinating. When, when you look at Proverbs at first, you may say, well, is there really a lot of information on Proverbs on this topic? And the answer at first glance is, well, some, but not very much. But then when you really get into it, you see that Proverbs has a great deal to say about this topic. And in particular, there are three terms that appear quite frequently in the book. Three Hebrew terms that relate to the topic of respect. The first one is the word chen, which is often translated simply as favor. Favor. Whether that favor comes from God or from man. That has to do with reputation. That has to do with respect. Earning favor. Earning respect. A second term is the term kabod. It's a term that we often translate as glory. It's often associated with God's own glory. Yet it is used in the book of Proverbs to refer to a man. And in that sense, it is often translated as honor. The the term has the idea of weightiness. And so you could even translate it as gravitas. And that makes sense, right? A man who is respected, a man who's honored, is a man who has gravitas. He has weightiness. And so the book of Proverbs uses this term often to describe that. There is another term, ratzon, another term used frequently in the book of Proverbs that also is translated as favor or delight. And it speaks of that which is particularly attractive. And again, it coincides very well, very logically with our topic of respect. Those whom we respect are those in whom we delight. Think of it. Think of someone in your life right now that you respect greatly. Not because it's owed respect, but because it's earned respect. That kind of a person attracts you. That kind of a person attracts not not negative thoughts. That person attracts delight. Whenever you think about that person, it brings joy. It brings encouragement. It brings delight, and Proverbs will use this term frequently in these associations related to reputation. Now, there are a few other terms that we find uh, in the book of Proverbs as well. They're not used that often. The term good repute, the term name is also one that we'll see very occasionally, but these are the three that are most often found. Now, with that said, let's look at what Proverbs says. 
has to say about a reputation or about respect. And the first principle is this. A good reputation is to be, is to be sought. A good reputation is something which we are to seek actively. We are to seek respect. Now, of course, we have to do it in the right way, with the right motives, as we've talked about already, briefly. But I want to say this at the very, very beginning. A good reputation is something that should be an objective for all of us. Now, some will say this, and then you'll hear men say this from time to time. They'll say this, well, you know what? My conscience is clear. I care not what anyone else thinks of me. I please no one. Now, and, and that is, is worn as a badge. And there are some men who, you know, they, they wear it almost literally. You know, that, that statement, I do not care about your opinion. It is irrelevant to me. Now, on the one hand, that is a praiseworthy commitment if, if you're using that concept in the right way. Yes, if you are... If you are resisting this common temptation to fear men, the temptation to, to, to uh, live according to whatever anyone else thinks you should live, and that kind of, that, that kind of uh, you know, you're like Gumby, you can be molded and pushed around whatever, in whatever direction, depending on the opinion of the moment. If you're resisting that, this is a good statement. We are not to fear men. But this statement it can often reflect something more nefarious. It can reflect from a man a prideful self-sufficiency. The kind of attitude in which a man leans on his own understanding. A kind of arrogance in which a man is wise in his own eyes. And we struggle with that. And for many men, they use this kind of statement as justification for their own self-sufficiency. Your opinions are irrelevant to me. My conscience is clear. I please no one. I care not what anyone else thinks. You say that in order to suggest that you don't fear men, but in reality it reveals the fact that you are your own standard. You're wise in your own eyes. You don't care about what anyone else says. You're unteachable. You're resistant to any kind of correction because you are convinced in your own rightness. And so you don't care about a reputation. You don't care what anybody thinks of you. You just want to be who you are. And Proverbs comes along and says, no. Proverbs comes along and says, you know what? You actually do need to seek favor in the eyes of men. Let's look at a few of these Proverbs. Proverbs 22, verse 1. A good name is to be more desired than great wealth. Favor is better than silver and gold. Literally, the proverb 
reads as follows, a name is to be desired. Here we have this word name. The, the translators put here the word good. You see it in italics because it's not there. It's added for explanation. But the, the sage here is saying this, a name is to be desired. And the, the word for name refers to reputation. It's a common Hebrew expression that when you want to refer to character, To the content of a man, you refer to his name. Now, the word name can, in in many cases, refer to something good, but elsewhere it can also refer to something bad. Elsewhere in Proverbs it says, scoffer is the name of the fool. The name is something which represents reputation. And so the sage here is saying a reputation is to be more desired than great wealth favor. Favor in the eyes of others is more better than silver and gold. As Waltke states, in sum, a good name is the outward expression of the person's inner wisdom, his expression of skill in living. And so essentially, what the sage is saying here is that all of us must recognize the value that is inherent in a reputation wherein you are known for skill in living. You are known for applying the truth of God. And this name is to be actively sought. And notice this, this name, this favor, this reputation is to be sought from both God and man. Let's look at a few other proverbs here. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. I'll condense it a little bit here. Solomon begins and he says this, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. Then he goes on to say this, So that, or so, here's the purpose, So you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and of man. Notice what Solomon is saying. He's saying, son, make sure you embrace this teaching. Make sure you you receive it and apply it. And when you do, here's the net result. You will find favor and good repute in both God's eyes and man's eyes. And that is a good thing. It's a necessary thing. It's a desirable thing. Look at Proverbs 8, verses 34 to 36. Lady Wisdom says, blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at my doorposts. For he who finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who sins against me injures himself. All those who hate me love death. Now, Lady Wisdom here isn't teaching a salvation by works Lady Wisdom is not teaching us that we must earn favor with God so that we can earn entrance into eternal life. That's not what Lady Wisdom is talking about. She is referring to something that comes after the fear of the Lord has been implanted in you. She's talking about the life of the redeemed person. You're already redeemed, but now you are seeking... The smile of God in your life. You're seeking his fatherly favor. 
And so you seek it through wisdom, through skillful living, so that you might have his smile upon your life. Now, conversely, wisdom dictates that how you view yourself in your own eyes, as opposed to the eyes of God or the eyes of men, is really of little value. How you view yourself is of little value. And commending yourself is only vanity. And that is so very important because I can guarantee you that for every single man in this room, one of our biggest problems is the way that we assess ourselves. We live predominantly according to our self-assessment. We commend ourselves from the moment we wake up in the morning to the moment we go to bed at night. We base so much of our living on how we view ourselves through our own grid. And even for someone who might say here, well, I've got a problem with low self-esteem, anyone who says that is already admitting to the problem of self-love. We love ourselves and always judge ourselves by putting a finger on the scale in our favor. But Proverbs comes along and says, no, who we are in terms of respectfulness or respectability, I should say, is not something that we ourselves get to testify to. We don't determine in ourselves whether we're respectable or not. That comes from outside of us. And Proverbs teaches us this way. For example, in Proverbs 25 verse 27, notice what the sage says. It is not good to eat much honey, nor is it glory to search out one's own glory. It is not glory to search out one's own glory. It is not advantageous, not beneficial for you to puff yourself up, for you to give yourself the award, for you to pat yourself on the back, for you to display in your own eyes your personal worth. Proverbs 27 verse 2, let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. Notice the extent to which the book of Proverbs here is separating the concept of praise when, it, when we deal with human praise. It, is, it should be so foreign to us that we praise ourselves that it should be left to a complete stranger, someone who just stumbles upon our path to be the one to praise us. Now, we cannot live commending ourselves. We cannot live respecting ourselves as if that is what is most important. No, respect, good repute, favor, delight is always for others to give. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 18 states it this way. Paul writes, For it is not he who commands himself that is approved, but he whom the Lord commands. Number two, a good reputation can be acquired only through the application of biblical wisdom. So you might say, okay, I'm convinced I need to pursue a good reputation, a good name for myself. 
Proverbs 22 verse 1 says that good name is to be desired above all riches. Okay, I'm there. How do I do it? This next principle gives us the, the pathway to that. A good reputation, a good name, something to which all of us must strive, can only be acquired through the application of biblical wisdom. In other words, you're not going to do this by going to the gym and working out 24-7 to make yourself respectable. It's not going to be accomplished through fleshly human means. True respect, the kind that we want to attract, is only going to come through these divine means that God has given. And these means are the application of true biblical wisdom. Again, what we have here is is the law of cause and effect. And, And the book of Proverbs emphasizes this over and over again. You reap what you sow. And so if we want to reap a good name, we have to think backwards in terms of the law of consequence. So what creates the good name, the really good name, the delight, the favor? And the book of Proverbs identifies it as the cultivation of biblical wisdom. You see, we're not going to develop a good name for ourselves haphazardly, instantly, or arbitrarily. There is logic that is involved. It comes, this good name comes as a harvest. It comes as a harvest. The consequence of a life that has been dedicated to the pursuit and application of biblical wisdom. So some of you are saying, well, I I want that good name. But you've not been involved in cultivating biblical wisdom in your life. And I'm here to tell you, you won't have that name for a while. Like the farmer, you've got to plant the seeds. And you've got to wait. You've got to cultivate the soil. You've got to pull the weeds. You've got to water. And you've got to wait. And in good time, and only in God's time, at the right time, will there be the fruit. That is the law of sowing and reaping. And that very much applies to this particular concept. You cannot reap a good name haphazardly. It takes time and effort and energy. One commentator in the book of Proverbs writes this, quote, A good name comes as an outgrowth of good character, not as the deliberate attempt to build a reputation. Now again, men will often say, well, I want, to, I want that reputation now. Give me three secrets. Give me four keys so that tomorrow I can have the good reputation. I can have that position of leadership. I can enter that position of influence. I, I want it and I want fast. It doesn't come that way. It does not come that way. It comes slow and through hard work, and that is imperative to understand. Proverbs 3, verses 1 to 4. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so that you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. What do you need in order to get favor in the eyes of God and man? 
not forgetting the teaching, your heart keeping the commandments, holding tight onto kindness and truth, binding them around your neck and writing them on the tablet of your heart. And let me tell you, that doesn't happen in just a few short moments. That takes years. Proverbs 3, verse 16, long life is in wisdom's right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Notice again that it is wisdom that is offering honor. In other words, you can't get honor without first accepting wisdom. You can't get the fruit of wisdom without embracing everything that wisdom requires of you. Proverbs 3.35, the wise will inherit honor, but fools display dishonor. Again, a process is involved here. Proverbs 8, verse 34 to 36, Blessed is the man who listens to me, that is Lady Wisdom, watching daily at my gates, waiting at my doorposts. For he who finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. Proverbs 11, verse 27, He who diligently seeks good seeks favor. Notice Those are connected. You can't have one without the other. You can't have righteousness without reputation. That comes as a consequence. And you can't get to the consequence of reputation apart from goodness. Proverbs 12 verse 2, a good man will obtain favor from the Lord. Proverbs 12, 22 Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal faithfully are his delight. If you want the delight of the Lord, deal faithfully. Proverbs 15.33, the fear of the Lord is the instruction for wisdom. And before honor, there's a special term, honor. Before honor, before gravitas, what? Before it comes humility. Proverbs 16, verse 3, righteous lips are the delight of kings. You want the favor of the authorities, your boss, government authorities, tell the truth, and favor comes after. Proverbs 18, verse 12, before destruction, the heart of man is haughty, but humility goes before gravitas. Proverbs 20, verse 3, keeping away from strife is an honor. It's a delight for a man. Proverbs 22, verse 4, the reward, the reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. Again, you might be convinced, you may have been convinced even before tonight that you need a good name. You haven't been convinced of the fact that this only comes as a harvest, as a consequence. There are effects that must be put in place, and the call of wisdom is for you first to pursue wisdom, to make wisdom your priority, to know the revelation of God and how it translates into skillful living, and then and only then will a good name develop, a truly good name develop as a consequence. Number three, A good reputation is more valuable than riches. To emphasize the importance of seeking an honorable reputation, 
Proverbs contrasts its acquisition with the acquisition of riches. It puts them on the scales. On this scale, it puts a good name, a reputation, gravitas, honor, delight, favor. And on this side of the scale, it puts gold and silver. And it says, okay, let's see which one is heavier. Which one is worth more? And as it does so, the scale always tilts toward the good name. Good name is so much better. In fact, there is even no comparison. Proverbs 22 verse 1, a good name is to be more desired than great wealth. Not just wealth, but more desired than great wealth. And favor is better than the choicest of metals. Favor is not just better than wheat and barley. Favor is not just better than bronze or iron. Favor, favor in the eyes of God and men is better than silver or gold. If we go to the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon says it there also. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 1. A good name is better than a good ointment. The day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. In fact, we can even say this. Not only is a good reputation worth more than money, it is also more durable as well. Proverbs 10 verse 7 says this. The memory of the righteous is blessed, but the name, the reputation of the wicked will rot. It'll rot. It'll spoil. It undergoes that process of, as it decomposes, it stinks. That's the reputation of a wicked man. But the memory of the righteous is blessed. It endures. And because of that, it is so much Better than riches, than possessions with with which moth and rust destroy. And so in light of that, we've got to ask the question, men. If we really believe the inerrancy of these truths, that a good name is better than riches, let's put it all out in the open. And let's ask ourselves the question, how hard am I working for silver and gold? How hard am I working for possessions. And let's compare that to how hard I am working at applying wisdom and seeking a honorable name, one that glorifies the Lord, one that leaves a blessed memory. How hard am I working for that? Or am I working for it at all? Am I just saying, well, I'll let the cards land where they may. Proverbs calls us men to value a good name far above riches. And that should be reflective in how we make decisions. It should be reflective in our life's priorities. It should be reflected in the way that we make friends. It should be reflected in our hobbies. It should be reflected in the way that we get entertainment. It should be reflected in our bank accounts. It should be reflected in what motivates us every day. That a good name is better than riches. In fact, better than great riches.
Number four, a good reputation is destroyed by careless actions. A good reputation is destroyed by careless actions. Proverbs does not let us go without this very important reminder. You may recognize the need to seek wisdom, or excuse me, to seek a good name. You may recognize, number two, the need to to achieve that good name through the application of biblical wisdom. You may prize the good name above all earthly possessions, but it's not enough to stop there. You have to remember this fourth lesson, and it is this, that that good reputation which you may attain in some kind of increasing degree can easily be destroyed by careless actions. And Proverbs points to several ways a man's honor can be replaced with shame. We can come up with our own list, and probably if I would just ask you right now, what are the ways in which good men or men who have had a good reputation have destroyed it in one or two steps? And you know what? We probably would come up with the same list that the book of Proverbs does. Let's go through them. There's several that Proverbs points to, several things which destroy a man's reputation and replace his honor with shame. Number one, sexual sin. In fact, this is probably the thing that destroys it most for men. Sexual sin. Men who may, even for a considerable amount of time, live a relatively pure life, and then all of a sudden, in in a few short weeks or months, or maybe it's been this process of slow erosion, unseen by others, all of a sudden, it's revealed. And the man's reputation is gone. That happens all the time. In fact, it's likely that some of you are in that category or will be. What you had as a reputation that came through some hard work all of a sudden is gone because you are careless. Notice what Proverbs 6 verse 32 to 33 says. The one who commits adultery with a woman is lacking sense. He's an idiot. He's a fool. He's stupid. He who would destroy himself does it. Wounds and disgrace he will find. And his reproach will not be blotted out. Those words describe so many men today. Men in ministry, men in business, members of churches. Wounds and disgrace they find and their reproach is not blotted out. Stuart Scott says this about sexual sin. Quote, one of the most destructive sins for the husband and the family is that of sexual lust. This sin opens the door to all kinds of degradation. This sin can and will destroy a man's life and his marriage relationship as no other. End quote. A second 
careless act that can destroy a reputation is pride. In fact, I'll often tell young seminary students, do not desire great success. If Satan cannot disqualify you through sexual sin, he will disqualify you through success. And namely, he will disqualify you through pride in your own accomplishments, in your own achievements. He will destroy you and your reputation through how you begin to look at your own life and how you puff yourself up. Proverbs 11 verse 2 says this, When pride comes, then comes dishonor. But with the humble is wisdom. When pride comes, shortly thereafter, on its heels comes shame, comes dishonor, comes ruined reputation. And so men, as I say, be careful with successes. Oh, be careful of that time when you begin to start patting yourself on the back and saying, I'm pretty good, aren't I? Boy, that, I, I did well. Look at me. Only you can judge when those voices speak in your head, but when they do, cast them out. That comes from demons intent on destroying you and your name. Number three, spurning reproof. Spurning reproof is another way that men will will destroy their reputations. And in fact, it's really related to pride. Spurning reproof happens when, when you have those men and you want to correct them, you want to help them, and they just, they're resistant. Proverbs 13 verse 18 says this, Poverty and shame will come to him who neglects discipline. And that word for discipline is speaking of instruction. Poverty and shame come to him who neglects instruction. But he who regards reproof will be honored. Notice the antithesis. Notice that antithetical parallelism. That if you regard reproof, if if you listen to and accept the correction of others, then what follows on the heels of that, what follows on the heels is honor. But if you reject the correction, if you will not let men speak into your life to say, hey, brother, you're a little off here. This isn't right. This isn't honorable. You resist that, you'll destroy your reputation. You will have no reputation. You know what? Let's just admit it. We love the people who are humble, right? I mean, who do you want to spend time with? You want to spend time, if you're a sane person, you want to spend time with humble people. You love to be around them. Who do you hate to be around? Who do you detest? The arrogant. The person who's always right. The person who's never wrong. The person who never accepts correction. That's the last person you want to spend time with. Now think that about yourself. Your reputation, your name is not benefited. Is is not enhanced by your continual resistance to the admonition and instruction and the, the counsel of, of others. You might think you're great, but let me tell you, you resist 
and you'll be despised by men. Situation right now that pastor was telling me about someone in his, in his group, and that person, the pastor came to that person and said, listen, I've got something to tell you. You're, 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 not, you're not who you should be. You're not acting the right way here. This is not consistent with divine instruction. And the person just merely turned it on its heels and said, no, pastor, the problem is with you. The problem is that you're judging me. You're the one who needs to repent. Well, all of a sudden, that man's reputation fell through the floor. Number four, impulsiveness. Impulsiveness is also a a cause for a, a ruined reputation. Let me read one here. Proverbs 18, verse 13. He who gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame to him. Now, you want to destroy your reputation, you want to destroy your name, just be that person who never listens, who always has an answer for everything, who makes subjective decisions according to his own intuition, you, your reputation will be destroyed. There's probably others that we could add to it, but keep these things in mind. Let me read as we close and wrap up our time here, a, a statement by Pastor John on this issue of ruined reputations. He said this, quote, Nothing will ruin a good reputation faster or more permanently than a deliberate breach of ethical integrity. People will forgive practically any other kind of error, negligence, or failure, but ethical bankruptcy carries a stigma that is almost impossible to rise above. Let that motivate you in your pursuit of a good name. Just in closing, I want to give some hope and instruction here as to how you can how you can build a good name or maybe rebuild a good name. As Solomon said, the day of death is better than the day of birth, which means this, that you always have something in front of you to work toward. And at the end of the matter, how you close your life is more important than how you begin. And so some of you may be saying, yeah, my reputation is destroyed. Well, let me say this. Okay, you have today. We don't know when the Lord will take you. But how you end now is what matters. So how can you build or rebuild a good name? Number one, foster as your ultimate motivation a lifestyle of thought, speech, and action that truly pleases God. Make it your ambition. Make it your ambition, men, to please God. That's where it all begins. You want his smile on your life, not because you need that to get into heaven. Jesus Christ, if you are in Christ, Jesus Christ has already atoned for your sin. You can't add anything to that, and to even think that is an abomination. But you do want to strive to have his fatherly smile upon your life. Make that ambition number one. Number two, arrange your priorities, your decision-making processes, and lifestyle to reflect the reality that you now recognize that a good name is worth more than great wealth. Start talking about practical changes in your lifestyle that is going to reflect your pursuit. Number three, beware of these ever-present dangers along the way. Fear of man self-righteousness, 
idolatry. Rely firmly on God's grace and give him all the glory for any tiny successes along the way. Number four, exercise patience. That which is most valuable always takes great effort and time to acquire. This won't happen overnight. And in fact, if you've blown your reputation, there's hope, but it'll just take even longer. It's possible. You need patience. Number five, be motivated by the fear of disqualification and the joy of reward. Paul talks about this in Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 9, he talks about the fear of disqualification, of being disqualified to preach. And listen, that is a good kind of fear. The reality that any moment, you know what? I know what I'm capable of. And I know that apart from the grace of God and his enabling power, I can easily blow it. I need to remember that. And at the same time, I need to be motivated by the fact that God is a God who rewards. And that there is a reward for those who seek a good name. Number six, cultivate a a sensitive conscience and receptivity toward correction. This is one of the most important things. If you're serious about this, be a man who's teachable. Humble, who will receive the correction of others, even if the person doesn't necessarily say it in the right way, you still receive it and recognize the love that has been extended by that brother who wants to help you toward a good name. Number seven, embrace the notion of living in a glass house, of living your life as an open book where nothing is hidden. One of the biggest problems in all of this, men, is our desire, our penchant for privacy. It doesn't help us. And I know we want privacy from the government. We want privacy from big tech and so on. Yeah, that's good. But you know what? In the end, we are all better served if our lives were an open book. It would help us so much more if we knew that from the moment we got up in the morning, our lives were viewed. And they are by God. Let's live that way transparency, openness, it is the pathway to a good reputation. And number eight, remember that it is never too early or too late to begin. It's never too early or too late to begin. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this precious teaching that is so practical and necessary. We've got this drive to be respected. And so much of that is fraught with the flesh, with sin, pride, arrogance. We ask that you would cleanse our motives, our hearts, in how we understand the concept of a reputation, the concept of honor and dignity, the concept of favor and reputation. Cleanse our understanding, conform our thoughts on that topic to the standard of your word so that we might strive in a way that is consistent with biblical wisdom. We pray you would make us teachable, that we would be concerned about the impact of our lives on others, and we would long that our impact always 
be glorifying and dignified to you. We pray that the memory that other people have of us, whether it is a one-time event, an experience in a parking lot, or a shopping mall, or even online in a social media forum, that the memory of us would be blessed. Conform us into that, we pray, for your glory's sake, so that men may look upon us and glorify you, our Father in heaven. We want that and we ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen.